Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me for this special edition is my beautiful wife, Christy. Hey, guys. Yeah, I love this. This is a great, like, little kind of two-off co-hosting with you. This is so much fun. Last week, we got to catch up on your life and what you're doing with the... Um, with with the practice that basically you basically did a mini started, podcast. I mean, it was like a mini podcast. It was a, so it was I a long time. I apologize for that. <laughs> no, no apologies necessary, babe. Everybody wants to hear from you. And again, we need to start a podcast on wellness. I think you would do a. I mean, I think it would just be amazing, and and we could learn and glean so much from you. Um, but for this episode right here, uh, this was actually your idea. You you kind of thought this up. This was something that you've been really passionate about as you've been following the crisis in Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. It's something you felt really deeply burdened for. Yeah. And so you reached out to this couple uh, that are missionaries in Ukraine who happened to be, right? Just so happened to be, it's, it, it's definitely not a coincidence, but just so happened to be over here in the States on kind of a furlough, yep. right? Where they, a furlough with missionaries, if you're, if you're not familiar with that, it's, it's, a, it's a prolonged season of kind of a break where they go around to all of their different supporters, you know, and sponsors all over the, the United States. And they share with them, here's what's been going on in the mission field. And they're also raising money. So they happen to be on furlough during this entire crisis, which I think is really, uh, I think, a providential positioning that God had for them. Oh, yeah. so, that, so that Madison especially could report kind of what is taking place on the front lines over there while they're still in, in safety over here. Yeah. But giving us a perspective on that. And so you started following her and started seeing some of the stuff that she was posting. And can you just briefly share like what... What incited you to say, I mean, we've got to have them on the podcast talking about this. I think sometimes what's really hard when we see something going on, some kind of injustice, we don't know, like our natural response can be just, for, you know, all, all over the spectrum. And so, yeah. you know, that I think of the book when like healing hurts. I uh, think about that. When helping hurts. Oh, yep. sorry. Yep, yep. There it is. When yep. helping hurts. <laughs> when helping hurts and doesn't heal, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So when helping hurts and when I think about also just the other spectrum of like the savior complex as well, mm-hmm. I think about doing nothing. I mean, it just goes all across yeah. the spectrum. And so um, what should we do as a church when we're seeing these kind of injustices, like domestically and internationally? Because these, again, if they are you know, believers, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ at yeah. the end of the day. And, and what can we do as a church to, to support them? And so when I was seeing all what was going on in Ukraine, what I loved about Madison and Yuri is that they had this like eternal perspective mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. And so not only were they showing the stuff that was going on, that was causing us all to just weep and like grieve what was going on with these yeah. little children, you know, just, I mean, it's just, it, yeah, just the atrocities. Does it make were, any yeah. sense on the side of it? You know, eternity does not make any sense of the why. But uh, they were giving an eternal perspective of, okay, what can we do as believers? Like, how can we pray? Because yeah. sometimes we think we have to do. Yeah. And really, in all reality, God just wants to hear us and, 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 and you know, grant, put our requests to Him. Right, and right. so um, that was just so neat to see that from them. So that's why I wanted to reach out to them specifically. That's so good. Yeah, in this conversation, you're going to hear kind of an insider's perspective on the crisis over in Ukraine. Um, and, and as well as a perspective, a kingdom perspective that says, hey, here's what the church should and needs to do, especially the church in the United States um, in terms of, and when we say the church, we don't necessarily mean institutions. We mean like 
the body of Christ, believers, here's what we should do in this time of crisis as we're watching all of this stuff unfold and as, as we have been over the past couple of weeks. So let's go ahead and dive into Christy and I's conversation with Madison and Yuri. Yuri Madison, it is so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, you know, everybody is aware of the crisis that is going on um, overseas in Ukraine. You guys have a much closer picture to this. And we thought it would be very appropriate for us to to have you guys on to talk a little bit about your story, your involvement over there and what your involvement has been in the past. And to really just help us kind of get an understanding of this crisis, not just from a, a geopolitical perspective, but yeah, that would be helpful as well because we live in a very geocentric perspective over here in the United States thinking that we're the center of the world, unfortunately, and that's not the case. And so, yeah, maybe educate us on that throughout this conversation, but also just help us to understand on the ground level what's happening with 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 the people of Ukraine and how we can uh, intervene and be involved. So let's, let's start with this. Why don't you, t- you guys tell us a little bit about your life right now, what you guys do, what your, um, you know, where you're at, and then we can kind of dive into how you guys got into missions work in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, my name's Madison and I'm from the South. I'm born in Texas, raised in Alabama and, uh, met Yura on a missions trip in 2008, uh, to Ukraine for a kid was a camp for at-risk kids and orphans. And he was working there with some other missionaries there, but he's Ukrainian. So I'll let you tell him about yeah, um, yeah. my name is Yuri. Our last name is Perkuti. Sounds very unusual, but it's uh, very understandable in Ukraine. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, I was born in the Soviet Union, actually, 10 days after Chernobyl, uh, on the east of Ukraine, Lugansk, which is now people hear it on the news, too. And then we have, uh, we have four kids, so they're all biological. Uh, Chambers is nine, Lev is seven, Mila is five, and Remy is two. So we're, we have full, full hands, full plate. Yes. That's why you're in a closet, right? Or where are you at? <laughs> yes, we're in a closet and thankfully have some, my brothers here watching the kids. Yes, so. you have to hide if you're going to do something like this. <laughs> Listen, yes, don't be the fooled. Doors. The background right here looks like we're in some kind of a studio. This is actually a bedroom in our basement. We just happen to have this <laughs> alcove that makes it look like we're in some kind of a professional it studio. <laughs> looks very professional. <laughs> that's hey, that's the power of technology these days. And I'm excited about that because we get to we, we get the privilege of having conversations with people like you and we don't, you know, the, there's no limitations there. And it also, you know, the power of technology, we've talked about this over the past couple of weeks now gives us a lot of insight and information and a, and a window into what's taking place all over the world. And so, um, you know, I, I wonder if you guys might start by just sharing with us a little bit as, as this crisis began to unfold, you're probably, you know, you guys were probably seeing some things well before than what, you know, what we were on the news and stuff like that. Just kind of share your thoughts on that as you begin to see from your perspective, the crisis to begin to unfold. Yeah, well, I guess we'll back up a little bit and say that we got married in 2011 and lived in the States for six years. We were kind of working regular jobs. We were involved in foster care. We were foster parents and taught foster parent classes and just really desired to move back to Ukraine. Uh, But in 2014 was actually when this war started Mm -hmm. and Russia came in and illegally annexed 
Crimea, which is the peninsula on the bottom of Ukraine, as well as to the eastern regions. And since 2014, 14,000 people have died in this war. So mm. this conflict did not start on February 24th. It's been going on for years. And um, I actually did a really interesting poll on my stories. And hey, are y'all there? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Did we? Did the video just go out? Oh, I'm sorry. Y'all, it cut out. Y'all have disappeared. Oh, oh that's, that's okay. So you just just keep going. Okay. Um, sometimes to just save keep on going. bandwidth. Okay, just keep going. Yep. Sometimes to save on bandwidth, the video will cut out, but we're still with you. Okay. I'll kind of move back a little bit. So, um, eight years ago was when the war really started. And I, I kind of did a poll uh, asking people and about half of the people did not know that that was the, the case. You mm-hmm. know, half the people I asked said that they just thought it started three weeks ago. So, um, we had desired to move back to Ukraine, realized Lugansk was not going to be an option. Yuri's family had to flee along with probably a million other displaced Ukrainians who moved somewhere else in Ukraine or to Europe. And we finally set a date. And so since April 2018, we have lived in Odessa, Ukraine, which is the port city on the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. So Yuri always says it's kind of like New Orleans. It's multicultural. It's a port yeah. city. It's really important location. And we, we really love being in Odessa. So... Um, we, to be honest, I mean, on February 23rd, our answer was nothing, nothing really big is going to happen. It's, mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. Uh, we thought it's going to be isolated. If it's going to be pushed, it's going to push from the east, like how they did it before. Yeah. So we were shocked, completely shocked watching that happen on the news on that Wednesday night. And there were rumblings. We had friends who were foreign missionaries whose agencies had asked them to leave out of an abundance of caution. But we're here in the States right now because we had planned this trip two years ago. It was time for our, you know, some people call it a home assignment or a furlough for missionaries where we travel around and we talk to our partners and we visit churches and people that are supporting our ministry financially and praying with us. And so we were just, we, I I don't want to say we just happened to be here. That's not true. The Lord knew we were going to be here and he was not surprised that we are. So that's why we're not in Odessa. But we, I do think that if we had been there we probably would have been in the van on the morning of the 24th trying to get out. Like, we just didn't expect it. Yeah. Wow. And so even just like, how are your feelings about the fact that God had already ordained the fact that you were going to be back in the States, and then now here is all here are all your friends and family there? Like, how, how did you guys have to feel about all that? I think in the beginning, we, we were thought about, oh, first of why, why are we here? We should be there with our people. We felt guilty, uh, really guilty. Yeah. And uh, and I talked to my friends and said, hey, uh, I'm thinking about maybe come back and they all them, well, you're a crazy person, stay there, you were just the luckiest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not, it's not, I'm gonna feel like lucky. I feel pretty, uh, I don't know, I'm not gonna change the world. Yeah. But you feel like, you know, I need to be there. Yeah. I need to be, you know, I'm gonna be the one who is do something. Yeah. And we're, I think the first probably four to five days, we felt very guilty. Then we decided to stop feeling guilty. That was not from the Lord. And we wanted to see what God had for us. And then we started the second day after everything happened, we started the war relief fund and we said, okay, we need to be able to help people on the ground, people we know, people who might not get humanitarian help from these large organizations, but how can we help people that we know, um, particularly believers or people that we had been sharing the gospel with? Um, as they're trying to be on the ground. Maybe they're trying to evacuate. Maybe they're trying to serve. Maybe they're going to the front lines in the military. Mm. And, that's and the Lord has really you. blessed that effort and made it abundantly clear that that is why we're supposed to be here. Yeah. And honestly, like because you're posting those kind of stories, that's how I found you. Someone tagged you in it saying like she's helping out. 
And so I was trying to look for people who knew about what was going on and also people who were trying to do something about it. And so seeing your stories and how, like how to pray for the Ukrainian people and I think sometimes we can easily say like the savior complex of, well, what do I do and how can I help? And we forget that God is in control of everything and he can change things. And so I remember just on my knees screaming to him, praying to him like, God, like save your people, save your people. And I'm hearing stories of missiles not going off. I'm hearing stories of just people escaping when they shouldn't have been able to. Like the stories I'm hearing, like God is with them, but at the same time, like to, to hear you saying what we can pray for, it shows that we do need to be on our knees for this. But also as a church, like what can we do? And so those are the things you guys are being in the hands and feet of Jesus by filling the needs. And so tell me some of those needs that you have been noticing um, out in Ukraine right now. Well, I think <clears throat> I, I'm really thankful to hear that feedback. And that's the encouragement that I've got from a lot of people is there are lots of new sources we can look at, but to know specific ways to pray, whether it's for, you know, in particular our family or our friends or on a larger scale, just things we're hearing from our Ukrainian sources. And because we're able to share those things, I'm so thankful that so many more people are able to specifically pray. We're all praying for peace, right? But when you can get those specific intercedings, um, I think it's really meaningful. So some of the needs we're seeing on the ground, obviously there's people stuck in places and so we've made a really big effort to direct a lot of the funds to people who are brave, brave men who are willing to drive these vans into places with supplies. Um, people in the in the West who are coordinating efforts. We have some friends who's, who've created a call center, and you can call there to find help. <clears throat> you can call there to find help, to find places to stay, a way to get over the border. You can call if you're stuck in Kiev and your grandmother needs medication and they find a person in Kiev. You know, just we've tried to direct that helped those people who are stuck, the people who can't get out. And um, we also work with the deaf community uh, in Odessa, which the deaf in the world are the largest unreached people group in the world, but specifically in Ukraine, they're completely unreached. It's like 0.05% of deaf in Ukraine are believers. So we've been working with them for four years and we have directed specific funds to be able to help them evacuate, to help them get supplies that they need with our contacts on the ground. So those are some of the needs that we're seeing um, obviously, when you give a couple hundred dollars here, or a couple thousand here, or you're, okay, we're able to buy, buy a van, praise God. Well, that feels like a drop in the bucket mm-hmm. because the problem is so big and so far reaching in these ramifications. I mean, it's going to go on for years and years and years, and that feels overwhelming. But I just try to remind myself that God is in control, and that sounds like such a simple truth that we as believers know. Yeah, But I'm running around frantic, right? Like I'm running to him going, oh, I forgot to do this. Hey, can you help me with this? I've got receipts, spreadsheets, all the things. <laughs> and then it just made me feel so calm. This was probably about day 10 when I thought, God's not running around in his office no. in heaven trying to figure all of this out. He yeah. is yeah. so peacefully holding the world in his hands. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Can we um, can we do this for, for a second and take a step back and... From your perspective, especially as folks who have been, I mean, what you said since 2013, 14, that you've been on the ground in Ukraine as missionaries, and that also was when the conflict started? We've been there since 2018. 2018. Okay. So since 2018, since you've been there, you you have a very close-up perspective on this conflict that started in 2014. What what is the the sentiment surrounding this? What What exactly is going on, at least from your vantage point? Because obviously— we, you know, there's so much muddied information 
when you're getting it from, you know, there's a lot of different political agendas over here in the United States that are going to filter the information that we're receiving and, you know, um, censor the information that we're receiving. And so we're trying to piece some of this stuff together, but I would love to understand from your perspective, boots on the ground, what is happening with this conflict? I think generally uh, what happened in, in the media, in general, I think with the people, it's easy to think black and white. You know, Ukrainians good, Russians bad. Yeah. But I think as adults, it's more complicated. There's good people, there's bad people on both sides. And uh, even like, for example, Ukrainian President Zelensky, like a lot of Ukrainians thought about, well, maybe he came to get richer. Mm. Uh, but right now everybody says, okay, it's not time to talk about that. We have a bigger problem. And it's like more like, you know, gradation. Like the point being that there are faults on all the sides. I mean, obviously we're going to call evil evil and what Putin is doing is evil. But that doesn't mean that everyone in Ukraine is now a hero and there's no corruption in Ukraine because that's not the case either. So it's it's a very gray area. We're pretty flat human beings. And uh, uh, and I think problem is because uh, when the war began in 2014, my parents, you know, left to the West and they thought about, oh, now we're safe there. Mm. And a lot of people who run away from the East to Kiev, they thought about, okay, now we have a safe place, war is somewhere there. It's a, it's, it's a problem, but it's not obvious my problem right now. Mm. Uh, of course, people would be upset, uh, and my dad is a feel like he lost his homeland. Yeah. Uh, and But right now, people, I think with the new wave of attack, it's become a point of, there's no way place to run. Mm-hmm. So many people, like, my, my parents, for example, said, we're not going to go anywhere. It's like, we, we're done running. We're just going to stay where we're staying and see you, you know, embrace so your parents um, are right now so, in Ukraine. They're not. They haven't left the Ukraine yet. No. Yeah. They're, they're in the uh, uh, western part. Uh, the two hours from the Lviv. Uh, okay. so yeah. They, so his parents are there. His brother and his brother's wife are there. His brother would not be able to leave because men ages eighteen to sixty are not allowed to leave unless they're unless you have more than three children or some sort of medical. Um, you know, paperwork or disability. Uh, and so, but his parents, you know, we even offered when we lived in the States, they just don't want to leave. They're Ukrainians. They love their home and they kind of feel like that's where we're going to stay. And they're using their home to serve refugees right now. Um, and then his sister and her family did leave and go to a different European country um, with their kids. But I think for a lot of people, when we've been on the ground, That did, yeah. Not sure if it's them or us. Oh no! Is our is our um, internet good down here? Yeah. Do you have the router going still? From mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Hopefully they know to just log back. Oh, there okay, they are. Yeah, it caught back up. I think. Okay. Can you hear us? Yeah. Okay. 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 All right, great. So what, where you, you left off? You guys froze for a second. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yeah. Where it got left off was that you were saying the Ukrainian people. So you said the your his sister uh, left already. And then the the way the Ukrainian people are, and then that's all we heard. (laughs) Okay. The last four years on the ground, most Ukrainians aren't talking about the war unless they have, you know, family there. Or, for example, we worked with some volunteers last summer who came from the eastern region, people we had met in 2008, and they came to camp to serve with us in 2021. And... You know, it was it was fine. So up until about October 2021, most Ukrainians were not talking about the war, a potential invasion. It was when those troops started amassing in Belarus that people not, started. Not, not talking about mass to everybody, talking to people who know the problem. Right. So it's like, because it is a problem, but it's a problem for people getting used to it. Yeah. Kinda. Mm. You know, it's so much problem. Yeah, you go into the blog posts and the military checking you, and it's become like normal. Yeah. For example, my sister, when war began, she went to the east uh, to try and sell her apartment. 
And I called her first, you know, on the 24th. I said, hey, uh, you know, what is happening? What I'm seeing here in the U.S., it's, it looks very bad. And she said, well, nothing unusual. It's like you can hear some explosions, but it's like normal. Oh, uh, but yeah. then in two hours she said, okay, no, it's like actually ramp up and it's, yeah, it's, yeah. we need to, we need to do something. Wow. Which would make a lot of sense because from our perspective, it was like, man, it seemed like everybody was caught off guard by this. But what you're saying is, is there was so much of it that was normalcy. It was, it was everyday life that it, it everybody didn't have a chance to adjust when it, when it just ramped up like that. Yeah. And I think if you give some perspective, so Ukraine is about the size of Texas. Mm. So that kind of bottom little peninsula and then in the east, a little section that had been occupied by Russia for the last eight years. But what happened on the morning of the 24th in Ukraine was bombing and shelling all over the country Mm. all at once. And then it kind of scaled back a little bit and now it's expanded again. So you know, his mom's in Western Ukraine and we call her and she says, yeah, 5 a.m. I heard missiles flying over our house. Well, those missiles landed two hours south of her at a military um, point. So the whole country at that moment freaked out essentially and rightfully so because it was very confusing. Whereas all previous to that had been isolated in those territories that had been occupied. Gotcha. That makes sense. Wow. Wow. The Nothing is Wasted team is so excited to tell you about a brand new opportunity. Have you ever wanted to meet with one of our certified coaches, but either time or resources has prevented you from taking the next step in your healing journey? We understand that these are real barriers for many of our listeners. Therefore, for the first time ever, we are offering group coaching. With group coaching, you'll receive six one-hour sessions. And the sessions are offered at a fraction of the investment when compared to our one-on-one coaching. Group coaching also allows you direct access to our Nothing Is Wasted certified coaches, helpful course materials, six group coaching sessions, and connections with others who understand your story. We are offering three unique group coaching opportunities this spring, making your way through the early stages of grief, pain to purpose, and uncovering and recovering from your trauma. We pray that you'll consider being part of this limited time offer and take intentional steps towards your healing journey. To learn more and to register, visit nothingiswasted.com forward slash group coaching. Spots are limited and our group coaching sessions start the week of April 18th. So don't delay in signing up. We look forward to seeing you then. You know, Madison, you're a, you have some experience in trauma, trauma informed work and, you know, trauma has become a, 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 it's certainly not a buzzword. I don't want to say that. What's the word I'm thinking of? It's, it's become a more common thing for us to talk about in terms of putting it in the category of emotional trauma, you know, uh, childhood trauma, things that we undergo due to some, what would be considered m- more minor circumstances than what in the past trauma was only connected with or congruent with war, right? Coming back from war or some kind of a massive tragedy. Okay. That's what trauma was typically lumped in with. And so we've spent an entire 200 plus episodes talking about largely the other type of trauma. We've not really talked about war trauma a whole lot. So I'd love for you to, from your perspective as someone who's a tra- does in trauma, trauma informed work, what are the ripple effects that have you have seen because of this conflict as you guys have been working with people? And what are you anticipating is going to happen because of it? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm in the middle of the book, The Body Keeps the Score, mm-hmm. which I'm sure yep, a lot of people listening have heard of. The, yep. <laughs> it's such a good book. And, you know, so much of his research came out of working with veterans. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, it's connected to war. But then all of this research got used to become applicable in so many different situations. Right. And um, I think the important thing to remember about trauma is that it's not separate from our, like our spiritual, the spiritual part of us or from our souls that our bodies are, I mean, one, God made them that way and he made them to function that way. He made our brains to adapt. We just weren't meant to be consistently exposed to this trauma. And that's what happens when things kind of just go haywire. Um, Your body's trying to survive. And so when I think specifically about the past eight years, you know, I think about orphans that were evacuated and started over in different orphanages in new cities in Ukraine, which that's a whole other discussion of the orphan and social orphan crisis in Ukraine. But that's, that's a reality. I mean, I would say even, for example, Yura's dad went through trauma. He was very depressed for a long time. He, that was the house he built like with his hands and he had to leave it all behind. Um, there are, like I said, over a million Ukrainians were displaced since 2014, 14,000 Ukrainians have died in that. I mean, the trauma of that, and then, unfortunately, I mean, people get used to it. So hearing explosions and sell- shelling had become normal for my sister-in-law and her family. And now things like air raids are becoming normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, I mean, what's happened the past three weeks is just on a massive scale, so much bigger than even the last eight years. I mean, heavy on my heart are the doctors and the medics who yeah. are, they're bringing in these victims, especially in Mariupol, other hard-hit cities, and they're just bodies in the basement. Mm-hmm. And one of them, I shared this video, but one of the guys says, you know, you, you kind of get used to it, but then it comes back to you at night. Right, and just right. thinking about the trauma that even people who are trying to, to save people are going through, the moms who are losing kids, there was a mom that they go into the basement and then they get struck right in the kind of foyer to the apartment building. So the basement collapsed on them and two of her kids die. And then she's left with this one kid and no husband. I mean, that that situation is happening thousands of times over right now. Um, I'm thinking about kids getting moved. Like we, we have friends that are in Western Ukraine on the Slovakian border. And so they have been there for years working with these specific orphanages and baby houses, have relationships with these kids um, that go twice a week. And she was explaining last night, the caregivers are assigned to the room. Mm. So these kids have grown up in this baby house. They're used to this caregiver because they're in this room. Well, half the kids were just moved to a different country to make room for kids from the East who came in. So I'm sitting there going, oh, no, it's double trauma, double trauma. You could have left those kids in place. And if the Eastern kids are already moving, move them. Don't move the kids who grew up there. Then the kids get moved around in the rooms to make room for the new kids. And so then they have a new caretaker. So now they're going through trauma of losing some of the kids they're with going to a new room and a new caretaker. The caretakers are distracted and understandably so. They're on their phones. They're talking to family members. So anyway, those are just a few examples, but... And I think just normal humans, uh, we have friends in the church or even, you know, volunteering job, you know, work with the local uh, uh, at-risk kids. And uh, and they're talking about now how uh, it just feels like there's no point to do anything. Mm -hmm. You're trying to work and then missiles hits this neighborhood. And like, what are we going to do with those kids? Wow. It's almost like there's there's no purpose. So a lot of people coming up to the point like, maybe there should be no place to come back to. And it's it's very yeah. sad. And it's solid people, truly solid people. And they have this sadness to think about, maybe we just need to move on. You know, it's, it's, so, it's so unrepairable. Well, and I'll say something specific to the church in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. 
is that the understanding of trauma is just not quite there. Um, so it's more of like, well, it's a spiritual answer to the trauma, but we know that there are physiological things that can be done to help our brains heal and help our bodies heal from trauma that happens. And you think about the ACE scores, the adverse childhood experiences, and how many kids in Ukraine are now going to have super high ACE scores yeah. because of relocation, losing a parent or being separated from a caregiver. Maybe they're not losing them, but their dad couldn't leave. And so they left with their grandmother or whoever yeah. um, being thrown into a new situation, hearing air raids, missiles, bombs. I mean, seeing bodies on the street. I saw this video of a family that was trying to evacuate and they're getting in their car and there's just bodies on the street. I mean, for little kids to have to be exposed to that. Moms giving birth. I mean, all of us who've given birth can understand that that can even be a traumatic experience right. in itself, in itself, depending on yeah. how you're treated or how it goes. Can you imagine giving birth in a bomb shelter under fire or or having your newborn baby and just praying and hoping that they don't get a contusion from being, you know, it just all those things that we worry about as moms, it's made everything seem so, so, yes. um, but at the same time, I've been, I've had to be really careful not to like minimize even what me and my kids are going through here because it is significant for our kids. I think they are going through some traumatic things, knowing that their friends, knowing their friends by name who are evacuating or who had to leave their dad behind I mean, our oldest, just when we say, well, we decided, you know, we were supposed to go back in May, but we're going to wait till the end of the summer and see what happens. And he said, oh, thank you. I just don't want to go back. I don't want to get bombed. And his little heart is so concerned about that. And it, like, as a as parents, we thought, have we totally just been so focused on what's going on there that we have failed at being trauma-informed parents for our kids? But the Lord is gracious. But we have those thoughts because our kids are going through it too, even if it's not as on the maybe as an intense scale as as their friends in Ukraine. I mean, even all the stories you're saying, I mean, there's countless stories. I mean, you're only just scratching the surface and you think about the trauma of now you're a vulnerable, like the humanitarian crisis is going on, which is absolutely crazy. Like now you're a vulnerable woman with your children. You've seen all this trauma. You're going to the border and now people are taking advantage of the fact that you're vulnerable and human trafficking is trafficking is going on like crazy right now. And so you're trying to find safety and you think that you can trust this human being and then they break your trust like that and put you in that situation. It's just thing after thing after thing. One of the stories you mentioned was about um, just your kid not wanting to go back to possibly be bombed. You know, I had a friend living in Austria when all the Chernobyl things were going on and there was a lot of war and everything. So their kids were so used to taking shelter when bombs would go off. So she took them to Disney World uh, and that day fireworks started going off and their kids were five and like three and doing this and covering uh, their heads and taking shelter to make sure that they didn't get bombed with fireworks. Mm. And so that kind of trauma lasts with you um, and the PTSD that everything that's going on with them. Again, how you mentioned, Yuri, the whole no hope thing. It's like yeah. these I, I watched in your story, Madison, about um, the home insurance aspect that there really isn't home insurance. Can you explain about like people's home there? Because here we think, oh, just move somewhere else and rebuild and everything's going to be fine. Mm. But there it's not that simple. So can you explain that? Even the simple thing of car insurance. Country is pretty new thing in Ukraine, and uh, uh, I'll tell you, probably uh, ninety percent of people, more than ninety-five percent of people, do not have a full coverage on their car. Mm. They have a basic liability. So even that, look, uh, 
to go to Qatar. And the home insurance, I personally never met anyone in my life who had a home insurance. Wow. Most people in Ukraine either inherited their house or apartment, or maybe it was kind of started by their parents or grandparents and they finished it, mm. or they sunk their whole life savings into a new apartment build. Even um, the, not a lot of people taking uh, credit, credit? Yeah, mortgage, like a mortgage, mortgage because the interest rate's going to be 20 or 25%. Right. So, so people just saving money and then taking borrowing from their friends, from the family, trying to build. And we have friends who were saying like we just finished house like a week ago before the war wow and they look outskirts of kiev and now it's just question you know what's going to happen it's like yeah, so if the- there's not that safety net there's not those systems in place those kind of nuances and annoyances that we have in american life but they do actually help us feel secure if there was right. a flood or or something else that that does not exist so mm-hmm. i think that most people who are fleeing ukraine out of the three plus million people who've left i think most of them will not return and that's, I think that's what sometimes being the way we are as Americans, we think, oh, it's fine. But if you were to think, like my daughter was saying, mom, like, you know, if World War Three started, like, I don't want to be bombed. I'm like, right now we got to think about them. And I understand your feelings. We, we talk through all that with her. But I think to even think about if, if this were to happen to us, if this wasn't Ukraine, if this was the United States of America, and to say, oh, it's fine, go live in Mexico, or it's fine, go live in Canada. It's not. We're Americans. And so when I think about you guys as Ukrainians, like, it's not fine that you guys just go and live in a different country with different languages, different cultures. It's not fine. And so when you're saying about there's no hope, like, mm-hmm. what do we do? Where do we rebuild? Like, right now, it seems like there's just no hope. And mm-hmm. so I want you guys to to kind of just speak into that of, like, what what is their hope in right now? What are the Ukrainian people hoping in? Mm-hmm. You know, I think I'll say a little bit, and then I'll let the Ukrainians speak. But uh, I'm seeing... I am seeing churches rise up, whether they're taking care of their members by helping them evacuate or they're staying on the ground or, man, churches in Moldova, Vienna, um, like Germany, uh, Slovakia, Hungary, Poland. I have messages, like tons of messages. Hey, we have a church in this city. We're ready to take people in. I'm really encouraged at how the body of Christ is responding to this. And I know that that's not necessarily a long-term thing. Maybe that's not going to feel the same way in three months, but I have been really encouraged Um, even at higher levels, how there are churches going to the government and border control saying, we need a system where there are approved tents and check-ins for people to go to so that human traffickers can't take people at the border. We want to be one of those approved stations. How can we get approved by you so that we're not, you know, so that people are safe? Um, We we just, last night, I mean, the Lord is just drawing all these connections together. We have friends that drove our van and are on their way to Germany. And right now they're staying with my friends who are missionaries in Czech, who I met through a friend from college 10 mm. years ago. Wow. And the wow. Lord is is providing these moments. You know, I wrote about, we're sending weekly email updates about the War Relief Fund and what we're able to send funds to. And some of those stories I can't share publicly, but some I can. And last night we shared about the one where we were able to help purchase a van. And this guy's going to pick up a family that has six kids on the outskirts of Kiev. And he goes there and he decides to pick up this hitchhiker because he's going a, a different way to avoid Russian blog posts, picks up this guy who ends up being a local farmer, knows all the fields exactly where he's supposed to go. Wow. Then he looks at the gas meter and realizes he doesn't have enough gas to get this family and then make it back out to the next gas station. Farmer calls all of his friends and they pull up a tractor next to him and siphon off 10 wow. liters, exactly the amount he needed to get that family and then get back to the next gas station on the way to the West. So I am wake up in the morning sometimes and I'm just so like hurt or, or sad or angry. But then I hear stories like that and I just 
know that God has not forgotten yeah. and he is working even in those really tiny moments. And those things give me hope. And that's why I'm trying to share about this, share about things that happen because I don't want people to lose hope and I don't want people to forget. Yeah. I don't want people, yeah. it, you know, wars are popular for 30 days. I think that's the saying. Yeah. And so I don't yeah, want people to forget. Yeah. Um, and obviously it hits closer for home for, to home for us. But mm. I don't know, Yura, did you want to say something about hope? Oh. And I, I just think, um, uh, yeah, people are kind of losing hope towards, uh, you know, humanity and towards government. If no one's going to help us, we are all by ourselves. Yeah. But what I was truly, I think, it's almost like a medicine practice for Ukrainians. Okay, I'm a small person. I have just this little bit of bread or I have this little bit of fuel and I'm willing to share mm-hmm. because I know how, how it is to be in a rough, rough condition and have no hope. And I think that's why I'm hoping truly Ukrainian church just, uh, you know, raise up and think about, uh, you know, it's nice to have a new benches and it's nice to have a new audio system, but it's not that important. Mm. Yeah. And I think what, what I'm truly hope all of this bring new priorities to the, to the people's lives. Uh, because before the war, I have a, one of our members in a church in Ukraine, I talking to him and I said, so you, what, do you think, what do you think it's going to happen or not? He's master sergeant in the army. And he said, you know, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, same thing I'll tell my wife. His wife said, hey, we need to buy this appliance because, you know, it's getting, you know, worn out and it's not very good. And he says, don't worry, if war begins, you have no more problems, like appliances. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like rough. I'm like, oh, that's rough. Oh, you say that. Dark humor. But now it's, like, it's true because people just literally leave in everything because it's mm-hmm. all just the stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're still grieving over, over the stuff. And, uh, but I think people finally maybe understand, and I know for how long, uh, you know, what, what is important. And I think it does the priorities, you know, in, in, their, in their lives. Yeah. I think perspective, like, I think that's what you're saying is everything is about perspective. And I mean, even what you were saying, Madison, of like, you know, you still have the perspective of what's going on and what they're suffering right now. And you still have a hard time with your kids where you're at now and, and, and being okay with that and stepping into that. And I think that's where a lot of the moms I'm talking to are saying that they just feel this guilt and this weight, like they're out enjoying their lives right now and they don't know how to do that. And there's a term for that. It's like survivor's guilt in a way, like, like why am I able to do all this stuff and and be joyful while everyone else is grieving? Mm. Um, Can you speak in on that? Like, as, as Christian women who have our kids and we do have our hardships and we do have our first world problems and some of them are real problems for mm-hmm. us, how do we continue doing life in the middle of people just suffering? Well, and can I add an addendum to that as you're like, you know, as you're thinking through how to answer that, Madison, you know, I think about technology, social media, that kind of stuff is, is a beautiful thing if leveraged properly. It's also a really, you know, terrible thing if leveraged poorly. Um, and but it gives us access to things that we wouldn't have 25, 30 years ago have access to. Mm-hmm. And again, there's an upside and a downside to that as well, right? It's, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we wouldn't have seen some of the atrocities that we're seeing right now come in front of our feed. So we wouldn't have cultivated that kind of empathy and connection with other human beings, but we also wouldn't be experiencing this like, you know, from, from across the, from across the globe, also experiencing kind of secondhand trauma in some ways of going like, Oh my gosh, like being aroused by that, you know, so to speak. And so I wonder if you can kind of speak to that a little bit. And I know that's very nuanced. I know that's kind of like a a weird filter, but it causes me to pause and go like, how do you find, you know, obviously there's people trying to find, you know, peace and rest and safety over in Ukraine. 
And then how do, what should we do in the United States? And to what degree are we supposed to step up and intervene? And to what degree do we still have to like, you know, recognize it's okay for me to, you know, take my kid down to the park and laugh and not feel guilty about, you know what I'm saying? Um, talk to me about that a little bit. <clears throat> yeah, I think those are two. I mean, they kind of intertwine both the questions you guys asked. Uh, the first couple of days, I mean, we were probably sleeping like three or four hours a night. Um, we're, and we're still doing this. You, you stay up at night because then it's morning in Ukraine and you go, okay, what got hit? Are, are my friends okay? Is my family okay? Yeah. Um, where can I help? And then you wake up in the morning wondering what you missed in the three, five, eight hours that you slept. Um, we realized after the first couple of days, like, that's not healthy and we can't live like that mm. because our kids were suffering. Thankfully, at the time, we were staying with my dad. So we had grandparent help. Mm. Um, but it, our kids were, we were not even filtering ourselves well. We were so zoned into that, that we were saying things like, Yura, did you see that, what happened at that hospital? Oh, did you see that post from that soldier? And they were hearing us say things like bodies, bombs, explosions. Mm. And we were not filtering that in front of our kids. And I think that made it worse for them. So we had to sit down and talk. And they were frustrated with us. We were on our phones like 20 hours a day. But it's because we're trying to contact people, trying to send money, all those kinds of things. And we realized, oh, oh man, like, what is like a basic tenet of connected parenting? You have to set up expectations. You have to explain what you're doing. You have to set boundaries. And we were doing any of those things. So when we explained to our kids what we were doing, we said, we're actually trying to like raise money and we're trying to send money to people. And we gave some examples of people they know we had sent money to like our babysitter and her family. And my oldest came, like ran out of the room and he was crying. And then he came back with his little piggy bank mm. and said, can you please just send this money? Um, and so... I think it's important that our kids know what's going on. And we obviously have to be very careful and age appropriate with what we're sharing with them. But I want people to know and think about it, but you have to be able to hold both things. Like yeah. I can't, my kids can't suffer because I'm not going to cook them meals or take them to a park or something just because other people are suffering. Mm -hmm. There's, there's both, there's both. And, and I need those joyful experiences. It snowed here yesterday and my kids had the best time outside. And it mm. reminded me of a year ago when it snowed at our home in Odessa. And the biggest problem that day was that we found mold in the walls in our home and we had to like clean it. And I thought, man, I just was crying to you. Like that was a great wow. day. Can we go back there where that was the biggest problem? That's a crisis um, for many Americans. So that's, I mean, yeah, again, yeah, perspective there, was, right? Yeah, it was it was a big to do that day. It was in it. We had to buy a dryer and a dehumidifier, yeah. which, you know, missionary budget like that was a big right. deal. And so kind of fast forward to yesterday, I'm like, God gave us a gift mm -hmm. in that snow and letting our kids have a normal experience that they would be having in Ukraine if this wasn't going on. Um, so I think you can hold both things. And then about looking on social media, obviously, we have to have boundaries and I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, I'm getting better about stepping away mostly because I know that this is now long-term. Mm -hmm. It kind of feels like this conflict, if this war had ended maybe on day seven or day 10, or it's going to go on for seven or 10 months. And that's that's where we kind of feel like it's headed. Of course, we're not like military analysts or anything. We don't know. But um, I just, I realized I have to step away for my mental health, um, for, for the sake of my family and kids. And I want to keep pushing forward in the mission God has for me, which is sharing a lot of these things and sharing tough things, sharing things that you're not seeing on the news because we're getting them straight from sources and because I can translate them. Right. So that's really important as well. And sharing prayer requests, but I need to, my, 
my husband and my kids are still my priority. Mm-hmm. They, they are my absolute first calling and I'm stepping away more because of that. Um, and I think everybody has to just determine for themselves, but I think, you know, you're and I, we still every day are seeing videos and pictures that just make you just gasp or cry because it's mm-hmm. awful, but I'm pushing myself to watch them because I'm not going to become numb to what's happening to our people. I'm not going to walk away from it and I'll, I'll bear that burden for now, mm-hmm. um, and trust that the Lord's going to give me grace. Um, because we're not there. And I think if we were there, even if we were in a neighboring country, I would be trying to figure out how to parent my kids in a new location. And I'm sure that Euro would be trying to evacuate people. And I would be spending my whole day wondering if he was alive or not. And I thank God that we're not in that position. Um, and so I'm going to expose myself to what people are, are that, just for me personally, I am, but there may come a point where I need to sit, I need to step back and, and take that. And I'm really praying strongly that the Lord would lead me in that. Yeah. And I sometimes uh, have a thing, but I'm like almost rather living uh, no knowledge. You know, uh, there's so much coming out, bad things. You so so much, you know, internal stress. It's not something I'm gonna put away, and I'm not gonna try not think about because it's almost like forget. You know, if not right. a problem, I'm okay. I'm have a, so I understand it's not the answer, but like we're all kind of right. I think right now walking with this uh, crash, kind of trying to figure out which way we need to go, how yeah. we need to be. I think I think what's really I'm difficult sure. is because we, because of the ministry that we do, we hear about all the crazy traumas that happen all throughout the yeah. world, and it takes a toll on you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really takes a toll on you. And I'm not a worrier. And I remember um, I got pregnant with my third, and um, I, I, I like I'm one of those weird pregnant women that are like, okay, whatever happens happens. Like I just don't stress about anything. Um, but then. There were three people in a row that came on our podcast that talked about either having a stillborn, having a baby, then three months later, the baby died, or having a baby and the six months later, the baby had half of a brain. And you're like, wait, what? And so that trauma, like perceived trauma is actually a stressor that actually physiologically happens in your body and sometimes worse than the actual trauma. And so as a, I'm a PA, I'm a provider. And so we do research on this and it's absolutely crazy. Those stressors, what happens? And so with secondhand trauma, it can actually do the same kind of things. Like I remember witnessing, um, a mom in Ukraine, uh, lose her 18 month old child and they were doing CPR and I was watching her grieve her 18-month-old boy, and I have a two-month-old, I mean, tw- a, a two-year-old, and I just was s- sobbing and weeping, and Davy was like, you need to step back. And I think for some of us, uh, we don't need to feel guilt for the stepping back because in my mind, I'm like, well, they don't get a step back. So that's not fair that I'm stepping back. Mm-hmm. But I think for our health and our mental health, our sanity, our fi- you know, our physical health, there are times where we need to step back and we need to, like what Jesus did. Jesus was around all the trauma too. Mm-hmm. And he would go off to the mountainside alone and he would pray with his father. And I think that is the aspect of being alone in creation with our creator and spending that alone time so we can fill back up and fill, have our cup full to give to others. And I think you guys are in this calling right now that's so important that you are doing what you say you're doing. Like you need to be not numb and you need to be helping because that's what God God called you to. But for the other people, like the normal us, like who we don't have ties there. There's There are times where we do need to step back if it's taking out every ounce of joy from us where we feel guilty to even just live a normal day with Mm -hmm. joy because God God wanted us to have joy and we also get sorrow with that, you Mm -hmm. know? And, And he wanted us to laugh, but we also will cry. And so... I remember just this week we had a friend pass 
And I barely had tears because I've been crying so much. And in that moment, I knew I'm not good. Like, this is not okay that I can't even grieve my own friend. I'm getting more numb to death. And so I just knew I'm like, okay, let's step back. And so thank you guys for sharing that because this mm. this is so confusing for a lot of people. We think we're in 2022. This should not be happening. Genocides of people, people suffering the way they are. This should not happen. And it is. Mm. So how do we wrestle with God? How do we wrestle with <laughs> who he is, who he says he is, that he's good, that he would allow such bad things to happen to people. Yeah, that's a great question. What, what, From your perspective, where do you see God in all of this? And how, I mean, how do you wrestle with that? You know, that's one of the big existential questions we ask a lot on this podcast. It's like, well, uh, how can we say God is good when this is ha- this kind of things, these kinds of things are happening? I think for both of us, we're starting to have a different appreciation towards Psalms. Uh, because before... I was reading, I think, about, wow, David, that's like too much. Like, that was like, you're wishing destruction on the people. I was, like, I was like, wow, that's like over the top. And I think now it's just, it's, it could, I understand my, how, how sinful I am. Because mm-hmm. one day I'm like, go and bring destruction, burn them, everybody. And then the next day I'm like, ah, man, you see these people who've been captured. And you and see these like, young kids and you think, oh, just did not deserve to be killed. Yeah. Just the humans who are confused and... Uh, uh, traumatized, same problem traumatized to people, yeah. and it's it's like, it's like a roller coaster, and uh, and I can I'm struggling right now in the same thing with you because we're seeing destruction, and we're seeing like uh, some evil people, and you're just so angry with them, and you think okay, uh, you know where where is the God? Mm-hmm. But I I know those people just you know for five seconds. I don't know the whole story, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I, and God knew them from the beginning. He saw whatever happened to him. So for me, it's sometimes hard to reconcile. I'm still struggling to, you know, because honestly, for God, it's much more painful. And how he said, oh, you know, you think you're good fathers and you will never do that. So I'm, I'm much better. So it's, I'm kind of interesting because I understand how I'm, I think through all this crisis, I kind of see how, how flat human I am. Because one day I'm thinking about, and I'm always thought about I'm a pretty passionate person. Mm. But, you know, lately I've been just so angry and like, okay, you know, just just the most mm-hmm. sinful thoughts. Mm-hmm. I, at the beginning, as I pulled up to read Psalm 10, I just, that was what the Lord put on my heart the first couple of days. But it says, why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account? But you do see, for you know mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account until you find none. Mm. And I just can only take solace in what God's word tells us. Mm. Um, And I'll say, you know, I became a believer when I was five. I'm 33 now. And my faith has never been tested like it has in the the past three weeks, Mm. even through being an adoptive sibling. um, That that trauma that that happens, my parents getting divorced the, the month after we got married, like, I mean, we've been through, and then, you know, moving overseas, the, the horrible things that we experience and witness while fostering, like even all those things, mm. the Lord has been so gracious and I never wavered and doubted. I, I really didn't. And the past three weeks, I've found myself asking those questions that I've never asked before. And in some of those moments, I felt like a failure as a Christian, which is silly, um, but just was drawing back to scripture and, and things that David asked of God and, and just really, really praying that God would just increase my faith, that he would um, just draw me to himself. Um, so the Psalms have been like a really big solace for us. Wow. 
Well, I think what you're saying is true. Oh like, my goodness. I'm sorry. My computer is about to die. Can you grab oh. the plug? I'm so sorry. I should have plugged it in beforehand. Oh, no, you're I don't okay. want to lose y'all. <laughs> I wonder if we can find a plug in here. If not, we might have to move into the bedroom. Sorry, we're in a... Um, somebody let us stay in their condo in the mountains okay. for free, that which is, awesome. is like very cool. Yes. <laughs> but we don't know where anything is. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, no. No. Well, we can just move it right. I'm so sorry, you guys. Okay. Okay. My bad. We, yeah. we only have about probably five minutes left that we'll chat. Anywhere from like three to five. Okay, minutes, so, I have. Yeah. I'm on five percent, and I just yeah. feel like with the microphone, it's gonna suck yeah. it out. Oh, so yeah, I don't sure. want to. Okay, he ran to get an extension cord real quick from okay. the car, so yeah. no we'll be okay. I'm so sorry about That's this. Okay. It's all right. We've had we've had a lot of different interruptions in in, in conversations like before, so. Our team is really well versed in <laughs> post production and editing. You are, and you have the professionals. It's no all good. Worries. How many kids do you guys have? We have three. We have an eight year old, a seven year old, and a two year old. So the eight year old is was from okay, my so previous. Okay, right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the eight year old was from my previous marriage. The seven year old was mm -hmm. from his, and then we had one together. And so we're blending. So mm -hmm. all the when you're talking about childhood trauma, like we're well versed in it. We're like researching we're like crazy, like attachment disorders and new caregivers and all of that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a lot. So when yeah. I think about these orphans too, when I've been hearing, I've been following this girl who uh, is an American who went there uh, six weeks before it all went down. And she, yeah, Lena. Yeah. She, okay. Yeah. We're friends. Okay. Okay. She's okay. So she's in, she's working with a team with a couple that's American Ukrainian. And I've known him for like probably 16 years. So she and I just connected um, but she's like world. with my people. So, yeah. Well, she was describing all the things of what's going on with all the kids. And I'm just sitting here like, <clears throat> it feels like there's no hope for them. That's what's like, like and then I don't yeah. want my heart to feel that way. Cause I know with God, like there is hope, but like, I'm struggling with the darkness of it, you know? Yeah. She's like, been a great friend and help. And I just keep saying like, I just want to go be with, that's I, Truly, one of my desires, like I just want to go be with my my dear friends and and the people that are on the ground. Like, if I could just go hug them for like two hours and just be with them and bring them encouragement, I wish that I could. And thankfully, we have technology, but right. there will be time for that one day. I hope we have a. So I don't know if you heard about the significant marriage. We have this uh, couple that's on our team who does that here, and then she also does it all throughout the world. And she has a, um, some people in Ukraine. And so she's been, you know, keeping me up to date about those people. And a lot of them are strong believers, pastors, you know, leaders. And all of them are staying. Like, all of them just keep on saying, like, this is our time to help share the gospel. This is our time to help mm. our people. Mm. And when I think about you guys, I feel like, man, God wanted you out to, for such a time as this. Mm. And as much as you wanted to be on the ground, like, it just, I just think about how much of a blessing that he's calling you to this. And at the same time, it's like, man, I just, I, I, I feel for you because I know how to feel to be torn of like, I need to be with my people and helping and on the ground. And at the same time, he called you to be in this position. So that, that, that guilt, that, I mean, that is, that's a real thing, that survivor's guilt. Yeah. Well, so, these are, these are moments too, where like you think about, I mean, you said it earlier, this is 2022. You wouldn't think this kind of thing is going on. And that again, reflects our really safe, comfortable American mindset, right? We, in, in, in our generation, we've not lived in a war. You know, I know you guys have because you've been over in a, an area where that's very prevalent, but in the United States, we're like, wow, what is war? And yet we read about things like Christie's favorite book is uh, the hiding place, Corey Ten Boom. And you see all the amazing ways that God showed up 
in that book. And it's in these kinds of situations that God shows up in those miraculous ways, the ways that just, yeah. I mean, it just baffles your mind. You're like, wow, in the world, right? But it's in these, these places of desperation, these places where it seems impossible that he shows up and he, you know, rescues and protects and saves. And it, and it's, it's really cool to see the church become the church. As you were talking about earlier, the, all the different churches represented in the different, you know, neighboring countries there and how the church is stepping up. I wonder if you guys can share with us like what we should do, you know, as, as a church, if we're, you know, believers all over the world, obviously, you know, it goes without saying we need to be praying, right? That there's so much power in prayer, but is there anything else? How can we be a part of this? Like what can we do and what should we do to really help, um, you know, make a difference in this? Yeah, I think um, there's a couple things and I've been brainstorming this as well because I know that there there will be things beyond what's helpful now as this unfolds. So I'm um, obviously praying. I've been sharing on my story specific prayer requests and, and just praying for Ukrainians, praying for honestly, praying for Russians, playing, praying for leadership in all these countries that are involved because it's not just isolated to one area. So um, continue to pray for that. I'm praying for the vulnerable, the deaf, those with special needs, um, orphans, uh, against human trafficking. Those are really important. Um, we've started a war relief fund with Globe International, which is our sending agency, and it's a nonprofit. So if you feel led to make a donation there, um, you can just go to warreliefund.org, and that's the giving page for that. And we are so thankful that for everyone that's given and will continue to give because there's gonna be needs that we can continue to meet um, in the months and weeks to come. Um, I also thought about some, like practical things. Um, if you have a Russian or Ukrainian church in your city, mm. you might just reach out and say like, hey, are there any families who are struggling or who are about to welcome in maybe relatives um, in the next couple of weeks? Mm. Could we bring them a meal? Are there things that their relatives need? Could we help source some furniture, you know, maybe for them? I mean, there might be really practical needs you can meet if there are lots of little communities of um, basically Slavic people all Post over, post-Soviet Union uh, yeah. people all over the world. Um, so contact your local Ukrainian church and see if you can help in that way. Um, if you know, personally know a missionary um, who's in Ukraine or was in Ukraine and is now displaced, um, more than reaching out and saying, hey, can I? how can I help? Because people are asking me that and I don't know how to answer it. Mm-hmm. But when people specifically reach out and say, hey, I know you're really overwhelmed. Do you need help drafting your weekly update emails? Mm-hmm. Hey, I know you're really overwhelmed. What a box of activities for your kids help? Or if they're having to relocate to the States or somewhere else, like what physical things could you ask? Like, can I do this for you? And then they can answer yes or no and leave them the freedom to do that. But the support we've gotten over the past three weeks has kept us afloat. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean just financially. I mean, the physical things, the, t- the time and talent that we had a videographer, a friend contact us and he's making us update videos and turning wow. around those in like 12 hours for us. That's yeah. huge. Whatever talents you have, offer them to somebody um, or maybe a smaller organization. I know there's lots of little organizations that are doing what they can, but they probably need help too. So those are just some practical ways that I had thought of. And I think also praying uh, for, the, for the long term, you know, uh, yeah. what I need to do. Because yeah. maybe it's maybe it's not right now. Maybe it will be in two months. Uh, because uh, even if war will be done in five days, uh, there'll be so much truth, so much destruction and trauma and uh, uh, hopelessness. Yeah. So just kind of, uh, I think I, I would just embrace people for for a run if they have a, if they got put them on the heart to look uh, Ukraine people. Uh, just you know, pray and uh, see what God is going to show you 
not right now maybe maybe a month maybe no you know in six months yeah and i would make just a tiny note like on rhetoric as well something that is not helpful is when we say, oh, I, I wish I could just go rescue all those kids, or I wish I could just go like adopt them all. Um, you know, the or- conversation for another time, but the orphan crisis in Ukraine is really complicated, and there's not actually that many true orphans. There's a lot of social orphans who still have parental rights attached to them. Mm-hmm. They're just being raised in the institutions. And so um, that process is all halted. And if you really have a heart for that, like there are tons of vetted adoption agencies, Christian adoption agencies who are working with Ukraine and will work through that process if it opens again. But um, finding organizations and churches who are supporting foster families, orphans, orphanages, that is the way to go right now because there's just, there's not access and there's not information to actually physically be able to go help. So I would just say, if anybody even feels led to go in the future, like on a short-term trip, go not just with your church, go with a vetted organization or a vetted church in Ukraine who's helping people on the ground because we don't want to do what helping hurts, right? Like we want, we want to actually be helpful. Yes. And I love, I love how you mentioned about just the Russian people. And I think sometimes people forget that, that the Russian people are are not related or correlated with their leaders. And so um, Mm -hmm. I have a friend who's Russian. He married a Ukrainian. They live here in the States. I've met all of their family. They, because for every birth and everything like that, they've been around the wedding, everything. And so my heart has been hurting for his family because they're being, you know, taken away from the world in a way. And so um, his wife was telling me, I don't even know if she's going to, if his family can be like around our kids anymore, like, because I don't know if they'll be able to fly out and to grieve, not knowing if their grandparents can be around their kids because they're Russian and that's not fair to them. And so really when we think about God says to to bless our enemy and pray for them and love them. And so I feel like even the leaders, I, I even think like as crazy it sounds like if we pray for, you know, and I can't pronounce his name ever, but Putin, like I think that's so important because of the fact of God can change people's hearts. He can meet them where they're at. And we do need to pray for everyone involved in that, even, even the Russians. Um, and so one thing that I really loved that you guys were mentioning is that you know, we're still in the middle of the war. You guys are still in the middle of your crisis. You guys are still suffering and grieving and crying out to the Lord every single day. And so some of the questions you're asking, you're like, I'm just wrestling with him. And I think that a lot of times on this podcast, we have people who've already like grieved it, healed through it, talked to the Lord, or like still are receiving healing, but you guys are in the thick. And I think the encouragement to our listeners is that a lot of people are in the thick of grieving right now. And so it is okay to wrestle and just ask God the hard questions. Mm-hmm. And that's what you guys are doing. And he's showing you his word and mm-hmm. he's he's guiding you and he's taking you by the hand. And I think it's just such a beautiful thing that you guys can share in the thick of your grief right now uh, about how we can help. So thank you for doing mm-hmm. that with us. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it's, it was- yeah, we're happy to share. I mean, in, in the midst of something so hard, the opportunity to share with more people about the country that we love so much, about the people that we love. You know, our, heads, our kids are American Ukrainian, Americanian, like they're, yeah. this is our people. And the fact that so many people want to know more, it we just feel really honored that God has given us this ability. Yeah. yeah. Well, truly you guys are, you, you guys are being raised up in your position for a time such as this. So we want to encourage you. We want to say that we're in your corner, cheering you on. Um, we'll stay connected to you guys because we definitely want to make sure that we're able to get some resources for our listeners to be able to put on these show notes. So if you have specific organizations, we'll definitely connect with you and make sure we get those from you. We'll put those listeners as you're, as you're listening to this, we'll put those on the show notes. Um, and that way you can take part practically in, in, um, helping to bring some kind of relief, at least the relief that we're able to bring in this kind of a crisis. But 
Um, Yuri, Madison, we're just so grateful for the time that you guys would spend with us. Thank you for taking the time out to do this. And um, thank you for what you guys are doing right now for the Ukrainian people. Yeah, thank you guys. God bless. Yeah. Chris, I thought they were just had a lot of really good insight. I mean, we probably could have sat and talked with them for a couple more hours because we just barely scratched the surface. Oh, and I think that the God thing in all of it was I felt so strongly to ask them specifically to be on the podcast. Yeah. There could have been so many other people. And uh, before we uh, jumped on the podcast, I was asking Madison, like her background and everything. And she yeah. said it was in trauma. Yeah. And so just knowing that, I'm like, man, she is perfect. God right. definitely had this all orchestrated for yeah. us to be on the podcast because with them. Because this is, and we, we talked about this in the conversation. This is the type of trauma that 20, 30 years ago, before the term trauma was more in vogue, was more something that we were talking about, right? And with, in, in regards to little t trauma, mm-hmm. war trauma was really the only type of trauma that people were yeah. Um, you know, that they understood or that they at least were approaching, right? It's yeah. like, this was the stuff that we were trying to to talk. I mean, when um, The Body Keeps the Score, she mentioned that book in this conversation. It's a book we've mentioned multiple times on the podcast. That book is an entire study. Um, uh, Basil, Basil Van Kolk is the, the name of the author, I think is what, it, what his name is. But it's an entire study of how he used um, some practices to help war veterans. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is a real type of trauma that is continuing to play out right now in front of our eyes. And and at the same time, we're, we can experience some secondhand trauma in some ways just with the concerns of this. I mean, our, our kids now and, and we're trying to figure out how do we walk our kids in this because every night they're praying for Ukraine. Yeah. Um, and then they're also saying things like, you know, I, I, sorry, I, don't, I didn't mean to chuckle about this, but. It's like, it's probably more on me being uncomfortable trying to figure out how do we help our kids in this, but they're saying things like, um, you know, I hope World War III doesn't happen. I hope we don't get bombed. What's going to, what would happen if that were to be the case, you know, and that's just a little bit of a testimony, testament of a child's heart kind of, you know, being clued into some of this stuff that's happening across the globe and having some very real concerns, which are reflective of our own, all of our concerns. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of a secondhand trauma that we're experiencing. You know, you, Chris, you, you really, I mean, every night we're going to bed and you're watching some of these things, you're keeping updated on these things. And I've sat and watched mm-hmm. you in tears. I mean, in tears. And, you know, some of it, obviously, I understand. And some of it, I'm like, man, talk to me. What, what, I don't understand what's going on. You're a lot more connected to this crisis than, than I am. What is it that really is moving you about this? I think, I mean, I think it's the same thing as when you think about what happened to Amanda and Evie, you know, um, a lot of women at that time were thinking about what would happen to them or Mm. they were pregnant at the time. I've had women come up to me that were pregnant at the time and then named their child after Amanda. Um, and so people really resonated with what happened because I think at a surface level, you just you think you're grieving for the other person, but I think there's Mm. a deeper level of like a root of like insecurity or feelings of like, what if this were to happen type of thing. And so I remember just when I'm watching this and I saw this 18 month old boy who got shot and uh, they were giving him CPR on the table. And then it it showed um, and recorded the mom grieving after she heard that he didn't make it. Mm. And to see that, that, I think that's our worst nightmare yeah. when you think about that, to know that yeah. other moms now are living out 
in real time our worst nightmare. Yeah. Uh, moms giving birth in basements or in bomb shelters. Um, uh, I mean, I heard the story of this one mom who just gave birth and there was no there there wasn't enough food. And so people mm. in, the, in the same bomb shelter were giving up their rations of food for this mom so she can still breastfeed her baby. So mm. her, her baby would survive. Mm. I mean, to hear these things, like I think at a surface level, it's like humanity. But at a deeper level, it's our fear mm. uh, if, if we have to if we would ever go through something like this. Right. And so I remember just um, the the same day that the the war started happening, that all these people were being bombed and you're just seeing this in real time. Uh, articles started coming out about what, how this would affect the United States and how McDonald's mm-hmm. would be affected and the how economy was going to be affected. Yeah, how that, FedEx yeah. was going to be affected the mm-hmm. same day. Yeah. Um, someone off of a TV show stated that now, you know, because of the pandemic, it caused all these issues with travel. And now with this, would they ever be able to go to Italy? And at first I was just irate. Like yeah. what in the world? You're concerned about your travel, yes. your personal recreational travel. Yes. This time. Yeah. I think, but I think we need to hold it in tandem of having compassion for the person who thank God that we haven't had to live like that. Thank God yeah. that we, you know, we live in this entitled deserving, like spoiled country, comfortable yeah, country. Ways, right? So we just don't know. We just don't know what it is to live with suffering in this country as to the level as some countries and we have suffering, right. Right. but to the level that they have it. And so I had to give compassion to her and just pray for her, that person that said that. But I think we are so geocentric mm. that it, it feels like how's this going to affect us so our first thought our, our surviving thought in our brain which is very natural like our kids were like what if this caused world war three and the reason why you know we we are very protective of our kids yeah, like right. we make sure that we don't let them have information that's too big for their minds right. and brains and hearts for their age but one of the questions they did have when we mentioned that ukraine was being bombed they're like why wouldn't other countries help why don't we go over yeah. there and help them yeah. and we said well we don't want to start world war three because that can mean like all all kinds of other crazy stuff, yeah, you know, just that this is a lot complicated of an issue than just yes. like, Oh, the big bad United States coming in to rescue Ukraine. Like yes. there's a lot of political implications that could be involved that we don't know. That's we don't know. Thing. And like, that's the thing here we are. And that's the other thing is like, there's so many armchair quarterbacks, so to speak, right. Armchair politicians, armchair, whatever. Right. It's like, what regardless of what side of the spectrum you sit on when it comes to your politics, regardless of the, the the reality is, is I don't think I'd want the job of leading our Making country. That decision. I don't think I'd want to no. sit in that cabinet of trying to make that decision and realizing that what hangs in the balance is our entire nation and, and the safety of our, of our country and the domestic protection of our, you know, like that kind of we stuff. We don't know. Going, we have no idea. No, we have no idea. And at the end of the day, what my heart is that we would go, you know, right. knock down the doors of Russia and just like tell them to stop. But the thing is, we we can pray. And I think yeah. I think sometimes as believers, we forget the power of prayer and what God yeah. can do. And so my prayers before, like right when the start, I said, God, don't let any missile explode. Like any of the missiles that fall down, let them just have a faulty wire, whatever it yeah. takes, and do not let them explode. Uh, have people get out in scenarios that they would never be able to get out of. And they were. And so, yeah, you're seeing stories where it seems like, I mean, just the Lord's protection, like yes. these missiles should have detonated and they didn't, Yes, you know, and that's unheard of, right? Yes. The, the, well, you know, the other reason too, that we were, you know, we were talking to our kids about this and they mentioned World War Three is because, you know, that we actually talked to them about World War Two, mm. and we talked to them about, you know, some of the atrocities that were happening because of, you know, Nazi Germany o- occupation and just trying to help them on their level understand like this, this is not okay to treat humanity in a certain way. 
And, um, but also using that as a bridge to talk about things like the hiding place with Corey mm. Tinboom and ways that no matter what happens in our life, that God is our protector. He is our refuge and our strength, our ever present help in time of trouble. And so sharing, you know, we were even able to share some stories about that with, um, with our kids last night. I mean, last night we're doing a devotional and that was the verse was that he is our ever present help in time mm-hmm. of trouble. He is our refuge. And we talked about what does a refuge means? You know, what does that mean? And, and they brought up again, Ukraine and saying, well, you know, God's protecting people in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And so this is helping to shape our kids worldview by just even cluing in a little bit, uh, not just worldview, but faith perspective by cluing in a little bit on what's going on over in Ukraine. Well, I think when you think about that verse specifically, you don't feel him as your refuge unless you need to feel That's him right. as your refuge. And I remember one year yeah. with all my woundings going on and all the suffering that was going on. I remember I underlined every time I read the word refuge in the Bible mm. and said, God, I want to believe you're my refuge and all this. Show me how you're my refuge. And he did. And so I think that verses become alive when you are going through the stuff that you're going through. Do I want people to go through suffering? No. But that book that you mentioned, The Hiding Place, that is actually what is helping me uh, the faith that Corey Ten Boom had. So she was in um, a concentration camp because she was hiding uh, Jewish people at her house. And so um, the faith that she had in the middle all the, of all the suffering, the stuff that the miracles that happened within where she was living. I remember one of them, there was fleas in her bunk. So none of the, um, uh, the Nazi soldiers would actually come in there mm. to check. Um, but she was able to ho- uh, hide a Bible because wow. of that and share the gospel to everybody wow. in her bunk. And so God, even in the midst of our suffering, he does show up. And that's what I keep on having to wrestle with and say, like, God, in the middle of these people hiding yeah. in bomb shelters, dying of dehydration, uh, starvation, that they're, you know, the stuff that they're, the, the Russian sh- soldiers are doing to these yeah. women, like in the middle of all of this, you are their refuge. Yeah. You will show up. You are faithful. And I have to say that over and over when I just want to just cry and yeah. weep and just say, what are you doing, God? Mm. What are you allowing to happen? And I think that's the wrestling that happens um, in all of our suffering right. when we're going through the worst of the worst that we've ever experienced and we just say God where are you mm. are you my refuge and he does every time shows you he will show you how he is yeah that's so good that's so good you know this crisis is still ongoing and it's something that I mean it seems like it's going to be going on for a while and so I, wanna, I just want to you know as we kind of close this this portion of the conversation I want to make sure that we point you guys to the show notes we're going to put different ways that you can get connected to this crisis and, and helping with, you know, aid and relief and whatever that looks like. I know Christy, you have done quite a bit where even your portion of the profits of the, of, uh, of one of the months of the meal plan that you've created, you're, you're sending over to aid and relief, um, in, in Ukraine, the war efforts in Ukraine. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm really proud of you for, you know, just, the level of empathy that you have just in general as a person and, but you're not just feeling the burden of it. You're, you're doing something about it. Mm. And I appreciate you uh, initiating this conversation because I think this is a very important conversation that our community needs to be aware of. And, and potentially you might be experiencing some things um, that some just heavy trauma that you've, that you've experienced and you're having to sort through and you're having to work through. And so some of this crisis, in Ukraine has been probably triggering for you yeah. in that we want to, we want to make sure that we point you to resources that we have available. We would love to walk beside you. Our, our passion and our mission 
is to help you partner with God to take back your story. Yeah. And so no matter what trauma you have gone through, it does not have to um, paralyze you. It does not have to, as the enemy wants, he wants to render you ill-effective for the kingdom. Um, and, and there is a war going on. And I don't mean in the natural. I mean in the spiritual. There's a war going on where the enemy, our very real enemy, he wants to render you ill-effective. He wants to get you stuck. And we want to help you get unstuck and move forward on mission. So go to nothingiswasted.com and you can find all the resources we have available to you. Pain to Purpose course is there if you want to go through that yourself. If you want to hire one of our certified coaches, you can hire one of them to walk with you through the Pain to Purpose pathway. We also have our Nothing is Wasted community um, that is just, it's thriving. I mean, baby, this is, it's growing exponentially. It's crazy it's how many hundreds of you guys are there on this community. And we've got all kinds of offerings. We do a once a month masterclass and all kinds of other things that are there available to you guys. Um, and so we just want to point you in that direction of those resources so you can get connected to the healing that you need or the healing that other people in your life need as well. Well, I think about this specifically when it comes to healing and grieving and everything. Uh, the verse about it says, we don't grieve like those with no hope. Mm-hmm. And I, I, when I'm listening to Madison and Yuri and about like, what's the hope? Like, you know, everything's being destroyed. We have nothing to come back yeah. to. All of our life savings was put into this. There's no insurance. Like, mm. how would we rebuild? What does this look like? And so I, I love that verse of we do not grieve like those with no hope. Yeah. And what I love so about good. President Zelensky right now is how he's leading his people in the way of this. He says these three words every single time. We will win. Mm. Or when we win. Those are the three words he always says. And that's what gives people hope. And I think about the same with us in the the spiritual. Yeah, that's it. God always says, we will win. win. So we don't have hope because we know we're going to win at the end of the day. When we're suffering, when we're in the valley, when we're in the trenches, when we're in the darkness, Mm. we see the light and we can be the light for others as well. And so we know at the end of the day, we will win. That's so good. Darkness will not overcome. Wow. That's so good. So good. Chris, thanks for joining me on these past couple of episodes. It's been a blessing to have you on here. And I know it's been a blessing for our Nothing Is Wasted community. Show some love to Christy. Give Thanks her a little shout out me, on guys. Instagram yes. at christy.blackburn.niw. Um, and uh, you can also follow anything that she's doing at christyblackburn.com or at linenandroots.com. Um, you can follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries on Instagram. We have all, all kinds of giveaways that happen there. You can follow me at Davy Blackburn. You can follow Aubrey at Samp. And we want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Next week, we have a conversation with Lisa Apollo, and it's going to be a great one. You won't want to miss it. So go ahead and lean in. Listen to this little clip from my conversation with Lisa. My husband died suddenly. I just remember thinking, I if if I could just find one person mm. who has walked this path, who's a little bit ahead of me, because I had so many questions and I had so much fear, and I just wanted one person who could sit down with me over coffee. Yeah. And I didn't have it. That's part of why I wrote the book because I wanted to be able to reach back to that person who, you know, um, wants to to have answers to these questions and want somebody who's a few steps ahead who can say, yeah, I know God will be faithful. I know that in my head, but I want to see it lived out in a person because that is just such testimony to us.